You are listening to the Resonate Church Sermon Podcast. Resonate is a collegiate church planning network in the Northwest. If you'd like to learn more, please visit us at resonate.net. Well, hey, Resonate, we are in this series called Back to Acts, and I'm excited because we get to look at the early church, and we get to look at the early church in a way that helps us to understand, hey, why is this important to us? Over the last two years, I really think that the habits that have changed in our world have really revealed to us a question that's underneath a lot of things, and that is, why should we continue to bother with church? What purpose is church? And and really, do I still want to be engaged in this thing called church? And I really think that it's a good question for us to ask. And I, and I think that we need to aim at this and begin to say, hey, is this is this something we really want to... Uh, to, to engage in? Is that something that we want to prioritize in our lives? I think back to when I was a kid, I went to church in, in part because my dad was on staff and that was kind of part of the gig that if he was on staff, you were, you know, you went to a church. And I would think about like sitting in the, in the pews and, um, and how many things in the entire auditorium that I knew the exact number of, right? So I knew how many tiles we're in the entire, we had like, you know, a drop ceiling, right? And I knew, I counted all the tiles, right? And I would do that. I knew how many boards um, were on the back wall, right? I knew how many stones were a part of this, you know, stone veneered baptistry. I, I knew all this random stuff because during the time where I should have been listening, I was trying to occupy my mind with just counting things around. And it was one of those things that um, for me as a kid, it was like, why do I have to do this? And now that I'm a grown up um, and I think about um, really this idea that there's still that question um, as we engage in this, what, what's the point? Why should we do this? And, uh, and I think that, that is key for us because as we look at uh, some of the realities of what we see in the world is that um, over the last few years, there's been a decline in people that are prioritizing church, that are engaging in church. And we could look at that and we could begin to say, hey, that's a really disheartening thing. Or we could begin to say, actually, it might be that those who are disconnecting, it, it might be that they were disconnecting from something that actually didn't look like church anyway. And that's the key for us today. is because as we begin to ask, okay, what's the point of church? We have to ask, is, is the thing that we're asking um, the relevance of the actual thing that Jesus intended. Because if we reject something that Jesus rejected, well, that's a good thing. But if we begin to reject uh, the thing that Jesus actually wanted us to be able to engage in, well, that's something completely different. But the key is for us to be able to say, hey, is what we're doing really the thing that Jesus intended? Is the thing that was really um, the intent of Jesus, the bride of Christ, that thing that he left all these people in charge of, that thing that's grown from 120 people to 2.4 billion people in the world, is that really what Jesus intended? And I think that's the best question for us because that helps us to understand really, should we press into this or should we bounce? So as we think about some of the headwinds, um, I, I think we have to really clearly begin to say, hey, there's some things that are pressing against really whether the church is, is valid or not for many people. One of those is this, is that there's an increasingly uh, like clear secular agenda as the solution to the world's problems. And when I say secular agenda, I mean this, is this idea that um, outside of spirituality, we find the solution to many of the things that are wrong in the world. And that idea of we don't need God 
And, and in fact, inclusion of God has all these negative realities. There's an increasing sense of what that means in the world around us, that we, we should find our pathway outside of God. There's another piece to this that is a cultural reality that is continuing to um, really be, can really be uh, identi- part of our identity in that we are an individual and this individualistic idea that we have of ourselves as the primary way that we see the world um, is really one of those things. It's, it's really almost hard for us to think through any other way than the idea of being an individual and seeing the world through the lens of an individual and to be able to think through how everything in the world is oriented towards ourself, that we begin to believe that everything should be catered to us that everything should be organized around our desires, and that's become normative for us. That's just become an expectation. And so when we think about this idea that something that is um, secular, it might be a preferred solution, and that ultimately this idea that we can do it on our own, that our desires are, really we orient the world to meet those desires in our lives, Man, those things can begin to press against whether or not this idea of church is even valid in our world around us. And yet, in this, we still are seeing, or not maybe not still, but we're seeing emerging um, research that is really surprising. So, so as people are doing research on quality of life, on things that are part of people's habits and part of people's um, lifestyles, and really how those things begin to intersect into some key aspects of really our, our flourishing as people, one of the surprising things that is coming out is this really orientation of people towards faith communities, people towards churches. And as they're doing research, um, there's these crazy things that are emerging that, that really indicate that the marker of being a part of a church has all of these implications to all these other seemingly unrelated parts to our lives, like being able to live longer, right? So that's a key aspect of really health, that, that the longevity that you would have as a person um, there's a link towards whether you're a part of a regular faith community. Um, this towards your, your own perception of happiness in your life. There, there's a correlation towards being a part of a church. Um, the, the reality of having lower stress and anxiety and, um, and ulti- ultimately mental health um, I- issues. And those are connected back to this sense of being a part uh, of a church. And as we begin to look at this, um, one of the things that people are discovering is, hey, man, there's all these really fascinating things um, that, that people miss about being a part of a faith community that are uh, a part of this sense of saying, hey, there was a uh, stability. There, there's something about this that is, um, is really clear. And so what I want us to do is to be able to press into this today because I want us to look at what Jesus intended. And I want us to go back to that thing because I think that there's all kinds of things that have been like placed upon church and, and have really taken and obscured what church was really called to be. And as we look at this, I think what will happen is this, is that we will be drawn to, to, to really what this was all about. And so I want us to go back to the very beginning and to be able to go to this place um, really in the very, very early story of the, of the church in the book of Acts and for us to go back and to be able to say, hey, what did Jesus intend? And what did it look like? And how can we return to that kind of faith community? So in Acts chapter four, on the back side of this, we get to kind of see this, how this church worked. And I wanna share that with you because I think it's very important for us to get this um, clear, unvarnished view of the church. 
But I want, I want to tell you a little bit about the story that happened before that, right? So we're in the fourth chapter of Acts, and, and really a lot has happened, right? So Jesus, um, he died on a cross. He ultimately was resurrected, and that resurrection had a period of about 40 days where he showed himself and that revolutionized all the people around him that ultimately created a church of about 120 people. And this church of 120 people ultimately um, grew into the thousands, right? And as this church began to grow, what we begin to see is this really transformation of Jerusalem. And in fact, what was happening is crazy things like people getting healed. In fact, Peter and John heal this, heal this guy. And, um, and really, as they do this, it creates such a stir that they are brought in for questioning from uh, really from the, these rulers in, in this area, these religious rulers. And they threaten and they beat him. And, and ultimately, they say, okay, we're going to release you. And the last thing they say is, don't ever speak about Jesus again. Well, they say, hey, we, we can't do that because look at all that God's doing. And should we disobey God or you? And they choose God, which is a really wise thing to do. So you think about, hey, this supernatural stuff. And these guys are just, they choose God. And you and I should too. And in this, um, what happens is right after they get released, um, we start in verse 23 of chapter 4. So that's where I want to start for us to be able to really say, hey, what is this church intended to look like? It starts with this. As soon as they were freed... Peter and John returned to the other believers and told them what the leading priest and the elders had said. When they heard the report, all the believers lifted their voices in, together in prayer to God. O sovereign God, or so, O sovereign Lord, creator of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them, you spoke long ago by the Holy Spirit through our ancestor David, your servant, saying, Why are the nations so angry? Why did they waste their time with futile plans? The kings of the earth prepared for battle, and the rulers gathered together against the Lord and against his Messiah. In fact, this has happened here in this very city. For Herod Antipas, Pontius Pilate, and the, gov the governor, and the Gentiles, and the people of Israel were all united against Jesus, your holy servant, whom you anointed. But everything they did was determined beforehand according to your will. And now, O oh Lord, hear their threats and give us, your servants, great boldness in preaching your word. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After this prayer, the meeting place shook and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Then they preached the word of God with boldness. Now all the believers were united in heart and mind and they felt that what they owned was not their own. So they shared everything that they had. Now this is a picture of this moment, this snapshot in this early church. And I think as we look at this, I want us to really begin to say, hey, what are the actions that these people took? And, and as we look at really the actions of these people, how it may help us to understand, hey, this is what we should do as a church. And as we do these things, here's why it becomes really incredibly relevant to us in our world today, 2,000 years later, and potentially begins to change our world the way it changed their world. So there's three things that I want to point out in this. And so as we understand the first thing, I want us to go back really to um, the, the first part of this that, that might seem like just a passing statement, but I think is really important for us to understand. 
In verse 23, it says this, As soon as they were freed, Peter and John returned to the other believers and told them what the leading priests and elders had said. Now, that's just kind of a snapshot of what ha is happening there, but it points to something that is happening that, that I think is really helpful for us to kind of double click on and see what's underneath it. You see, this thing had happened where Peter and John had been brought in front of these um, leading um, priests and the elders, right? And, and, and as that process happened, um, they were ultimately freed. And what happened is that Peter and John, Peter didn't go back to his house and John went to his house and told his families, you know, here's what happened. What happened is they both came to the place where the believers were gathered. Now, this is significant because this didn't happen on, at least to our understanding, on a regular gathering that they had, right? This didn't fit some sort of a regular program that they had. And obviously at this point didn't fit the, the place of, um, that they had, that there was this, you know, this is the place that they gathered that was their church building. So in, in each of these things, it's really clear that their gathering, what they did was really not connected to uh, a program and it wasn't connected to a place. It was connected to a people. Now, this is the first uh, significant principle that I want us to really understand. So as we think about what is the church, the bride of Christ, we need to clearly have an understanding that this is not about a group of programs that we basically are a participant in, and it's not about a place that we go to. The church is the body of Christ. It is the gathering of believers. It is this people, right? So it is not a program that we are part of. It's not a place that we're a part of. Now, if we're thinking about the word church, um, and if we're just real honest with ourselves, it might be that when we think about church, we might think about something that we go to, a program, or it might be um, a, a thing that, a place that we go to, a church. So we use that interchangeably. Oh, there's a church there. And what we're really referring to is there's a church building there. Right? Or we might think of a church and we think about, oh, this, this program that we're a part of. But what we need to do is to go back and to say, hey, to understand really why church is meaningful to us, to understand why church is significant, it cannot be because of a group of programs and it cannot be to a, because of a place. Our, our reality is this, is that church is a people. And when we think about church, we have to think about the connection we have to people. So. Let me think about, or let me just illustrate it this way. The word that we use for church is translated out of the Greek, ekklesia. So this church is this ekklesia. Now, as we look at how ekklesia was used, even Luke, as he writes Acts, uses the word ekklesia in Acts 19 in two different ways that have nothing to do with a spiritual or religious gathering. So in this, uh, there's a, in Acts 19, there's this riot, right? So uh, Paul comes to town and he begins to preach the gospel and it begins to change the, the, the economy of the town. And as it begins to change the economy of the town, there's people that begin to protest and they assemble. And what Luke uses to describe this assembly is the word ecclesia. Now, a few verses later, um, as they begin to say, hey, to be able to figure out how to navigate this conflict, this riot, there is a legal gathering that's going to happen. And then he begins to talk about this ecclesia as a part of a legal gathering. So two things that are this, this kind of riotous mob and this legal gathering, both with the word ecclesia, both with the word that we now translate church. 
We know neither one of those are church churches. Here's what it does. It illustrates what we see happen over and over. Let me back up just a minute and talk to you about something I've probably told you about before, the word baptize. Now, in the early church, the word baptize was simply the word to dip. Now, we took that baptizo and we took it and Englishized that word to baptize, and then we took that word and made it into a spiritual word. So if we're talking about something with baptism, right, to baptize something, we probably wouldn't say, hey, I'm going to go down to the lake and I'm going to go, um, I'm going to go baptize, right? I'm going to go take a dip in the lake, right? We, we wouldn't use that. That would be weird if we were to take and you're just like, are you going to have a spiritual experience down there? Are you going to go to the lake and self-baptize? Like what's going on here? Like this is super, do we, we need to send a film crew? Are you going to tell your testimony? Whatever, right? So this is something that, um, that was used to describe this regular process, but became so significant in the life of the church that it was co-opted towards that spiritual meaning for it. So, so baptism was such a significant illustration of what is happening externally to someone has happened uh, for something that ultimately happened internally, like a picture of what was internal displayed externally, right? that they begin to use that basically in an exclusively religious way or spiritual way. So the same thing happens here with the word ecclesia. So it is simply a gathering. And yet it was so significant in terms of how it described a group of people connected to each other because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that that became so profound that what they did is they would gather to, together and they formed this community. That the idea of the community that's formed between God and a person was fused in the persons together as a group of people, a family of God. That this became synonymous with what is happening spiritually internally in one person to what happens as they begin to connect together as a group. And that happened in such regularity and such significance that gathering became known as an ecclesia. And that word ecclesia is now what we use as a church. So just want to give clarity. These people, they go from this place, they go to this group of believers, right? Somehow this was a normal, regular pattern. We go back to even to um, Acts chapter 114. It says this, they all met together and were constantly united in prayer. There's something about this. You go to, uh, to the, the dailiness that we see in Acts 2. There was something about the early church that said, hey, we are going to gather together. There's something about the assembly of people, the, the idea of being brought together. Now, here's the difficulty. In the sense of us being able to say, hey, we live our lives uh, really in these uh, somewhat disconnected, um, siloed things where our nuclear family, we have that, um, but, but we're not very connected because we're so busy in many of the other places in our life. This is a challenge for us. When we begin to look at this and begin to say, well, the way that they looked like or what they look like as a church together is somewhat challenging for us in our day and age to, age to be able to understand, okay, how is it that our lives look like this? So I want to just press us into this just a little bit. One of the things that we see is that, um, that they were together and above all else, they were a group of people. They saw themselves as a group of people. Luke saw them as a group of people. Throughout all of this, there's a dailiness that they have this connection. There's a sense of the rhythm of their connection is a normal thing. So the first thing I want us to be able to understand is really this, 
is that um, as we look at the, at the Acts church, there was a dailiness to their connection. There was a regularity to their connection together. This is what they were. And, and I want us to get the importance to this in, in terms of who we are. I really believe that there is someone that needs to know the details of your life. That, there's, that, that we can't go a week between being able to share um, the, the reality of our life. Now, in some ways, social media has allowed us to have an outlet for the details of our life. Sometimes way more details than we need to know about people's lives. But here's the thing. There's a difference in, um, in really posting that and, and kind of broadly to the world and being able to share that and being able to go back through and say, hey, what did your life, what, what, what's happening in your world? How, how's your world playing out? Uh, really, there's a sense of us needing to have that um, in a regular pattern of our life that people need to know um, the updated realities. Now, we, we understand this emotionally because when someone replies to our post, when there's someone that recognizes it, even when someone likes it, there's something in us that is drawn to that. And, and we are wired like this. And this is why social media companies, they, they know how to get us, right? Because we want to be known and we want to be accepted. And that is so hardwired into our hearts that they can get us to consume their product and give us their attention so that we begin to have this kind of interaction. And, and I want us to get that what social media is, um, is connected to is really somewhat what the church is meant to be as we are connected together, not just in a weekly sense, but even in a more regular way to do this. And you might say, that sounds overwhelming. And here's how we begin to really see this played out. One is informality, that we gather in informal ways, that um, the idea of trying to figure out how to get our schedules to connect and, and, and do formal things. We just can't do that. That's, that's impossible. We need to have a level of, of integration where, where really we can have informal connections and, and we can um, feel freedom to be in each other's lives and each other's houses in a way that doesn't mean that there has to be a formal scheduled event. This is, this is massive. And anywhere I see healthy community, there's informality in their interactions together. The other thing is this, there's integration. That, that whatever we're doing, we begin to say, how do I not do this alone? Again, one of the most significant things that is causing uh, us to be able to experience um, really deep issues in our life is isolation and loneliness. So how do we do this? with busy schedules. We figure out how do you integrate people into your lives? And one of those things that we see even in the very, um, the, the, the New Testament is the integration into meals. We have to eat. How do we get people together as we share meals together? As we begin to say, hey, it's gonna take us a certain amount of time to eat, as we're gonna prepare this stuff, why not be able to share this with other people? These are the rhythms to, be, to have informality and to have integration into our lives together. But someone, that we need to have higher touches. Higher touches equals higher trust. We need trust in our life. We need integration into our life. We need to know um, what it means for us to be able to connect together. Number two, not only did they have rhythms of uh, regular interaction, two, is they shared spiritual depth. They shared spiritual depth. So what happens? They get together, they have this thing, they immediately move into this time of worship, this time of prayer, this time of deep connection together. And I think that this is key because we need to understand that 
the idea for us to be known is massive. This is another one of those things that we're seeing statistically. If you don't believe the Bible, look at statistics. You and I have to be known. What is inside of our lives needs to be revealed on the outside. There's too much of this reality that we are trying to perform. We're trying to act. We're trying to be this kind of person that we think is the right thing. We're filtering all this stuff. That leads us to a place where ultimately we believe that who we really are isn't good enough. That if we don't filter, that if we don't um, sanitize that, that someone's not gonna like us, they're not gonna accept us, we're not gonna have grace for that. And you do that for too long, and there are things that happen internal to you that bring us into places of depression, anxiety, and we don't experience the freeing grace of what it means to be deeply accepted. Now, what it looks like for us to have that connection is when we have um, connection at the very depth of who we are. Now, the great thing about really being a spiritual community, is that not only do we get to share the, the meaningless things together, but we get to share the most meaningful aspects together. So they're there in this room and something very difficult is happening, right? And they're going back and saying, hey, actually this is tied to a promise that we can have hope in, that from the very beginning God has this all rigged and we can begin to share this together. And even in this difficult thing where we're getting persecuted, there's a sense of us being able to recognize God's hand at work in this. Now, this is what you and I need. We need to be able to laugh together. We need to be able to share stupid memes together that are meaningless and be able to enjoy laughing together. But also, we need the depth of relationship and the depth of emotion to be able to show us being able to cry together. If we can't laugh together and cry together, we're missing what it means to be deeply connected as human beings together. This is is what it means to be connected to a spiritual depth. This is why you need church. This is why as I begin to have relationships with people outside of the church, there's always just this barrier to how far this can go, right? Because there's this peace to us that we only, and some of the most significant parts to us, that can only be accessed through our spirituality. And this is massive for us. It's a little bit like, the difference between pancakes and waffles. So when we live in a waffle world, think about pouring syrup over waffles, right? There's these little like compartments and we can pour that syrup in the waffle in that compartment and it stays in that compartment and it doesn't go all over everywhere. Or if you think about the idea of the opposite, you pour syrup on a pancake and it really just goes where it goes. And I think that part of the things that are difficult for us in our world is that we often live in a waffle world instead of a pancake world. And what the church does, and what the church is intended to do, is to be able to bring us into places where we are living in the freedom of the pancake, right? Where the syrup can go where it goes, right? Where it can go on this side or that side, right? It's hard to figure out. You look at a pancake and like, where's it gonna go? Which side is it gonna go? Like, this is, this is the kind of community that, that really Jesus intended from the very beginning. The last thing is this they were radically generous. Now, I want to read this to you because of how significant it is, and I don't want you to hear my words. I want you to hear the words of Scripture. After this prayer, that spirituality took and it really fused this sense of, uh, of how they worked. The meeting place shook. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they preached the Word of God with boldness. And all the believers were united 
in heart and in mind, and they felt that what they owned was not their own, so they shared everything that they had. Now, this story is, uh, is a story that really illustrates this Acts church, but I think it gives us a principle. Now, are we called to be able to say, sell everything that you have? Um, no, we're not, but we, all, we are called to that principle. And every time I see a robust spiritual community, Man, there is a sense of this being lived out. There's a generosity there. It, our, our church has a history of where we see these um, really beautiful, flourishing communities. We see radical generosity. There's stories of you know, buying people computers and cars, paying off debt, all of these stories um, and, and all kinds of things, being able to say, doing massive favors and being able to be giving in, in ways that are massively helpful to the, to the person in that community. Anytime I see um, this, it really relates to the fact that those first two things have been present, that there's a sense of them being able to have a regularity in each other's lives. And, and the beautiful thing is that that regularity is displayed in college um, and in the college context as people are living together. In fact, some of you might say, man, some of the most significant relationships I've ever had was in that college experience, was that when I was able to live in this proximity to people. College is a beautiful picture of Acts 2 community. And you see people that are, are not just doing that, but they're interacting at deep and significant needs and, and the ways that they're interacting, um, sorry, not needs, um, spiritual and, and meaningful ways. And that leads us to this place where we have this, this environment where the needs that I have are freely, freely recognized. That, that we don't think, oh, I shouldn't share these needs. We think, hey, this is the exact place that I can begin to divulge the needs that I have. And for other people to say, man, this is my desire to meet those needs. And when that is a part of this spiritual community, man, what a, what a powerful picture of really what it means to be the church, this gathering of Jesus people together. And so uh, again, across our church, I've seen it time and time and time again, where people share their needs without shame and people share their resources without greed. And when those begin to come together, it reveals a very unique reality. And so here's what they did. Over and over in the Acts church, this is not the only place that you begin to see this free gift of being able to say, I just want to meet these needs. Here's why. All of a sudden, this group of people begins to recognize that Jesus is better. They begin to recognize that the most important thing in the world is the gospel, is Jesus, is the manifestation of Christ, is the resurrection of Jesus. And when that's put into a point of primary um, significance, everything else is insignificant. And this is this thing that we get to live out. We get to live out this story. And we don't get to live out this story just on our own. We get to live out this story as a family together, as a people, not just connected to a place, not just connected to program, as a group of people together. And as we go through difficult times, it's this idea of us being able to do this together that gets us through. It's really the idea of, do you believe that the church is a group of people? If so, we can weather almost anything. And over the last two years, you begin able to see really what the definition of church has been able to look like. If you begin to see this, hey, this is a group of people, 
Man, it doesn't matter if we can meet this way or that way. It doesn't matter where, when, whatever that stuff, that is insignificant. It doesn't matter if we're wearing masks or not wearing masks or for distance, whatever. It's a group of people. And this group of people can get through almost anything. And so here's the vision for our church. Is that when we look at what Jesus described, and this would be what we would embrace. That we would say, this, this is important. And we would begin to say that this is what's going to allow us to flourish. This is what's going to allow us to experience life as God called us to do this. This is why I have to prioritize church. This is why this has to be more important. That Jesus gave his mission a church because he wanted to see the world be radically different. And so for us, as we begin to engage that, we can begin to say, and this is, this is something that can't be a, a low priority in my life. This is something that God has called us to. And this is my hope, that in 2022, there's something that happens in your life where you begin to say, hey, I want to be able to figure out how the rhythms of my life are integrated and are integrated to a point where this group of people are not just things that I do in these programs, or not just people that I connect with in programs, but it's a group of people that I live life with. That, that this, this year, my desire for us is that we become a church that combats isolation, combats loneliness, that there'd be less loneliness and there'd be less isolation in our church because we would press into each other's lives. Not only that is my hope for you as you embrace church in 2022, is that there would be more of you that is known by more people that we would be people who are not just connecting on the shallow things, but are connecting on the deep things. That you would experience God's grace because you're around people that accept you because Christ has accepted you. And they are a part of knowing and asking questions about who you really are. And we get to experience radical generosity. That we get to experience giving and we get to experience receiving that. And as we do that, that allows us to have the security of knowing what it means to be a part of a family of God called the local church, wherever you're at. So Resonate, I love you guys. And as we look at Acts 4, we're not going to be perfect because we're made up a bunch of sinners. But Jesus has redeemed us, pointed to the future, and said, you are my bride. I am going to work through you. So let us lean in and let us be the people that embrace this reality. And we look at Acts 4 and begin to say, may that be true in cities across the Northwest. May that be true in our lives. And I pray that you would have an experience with church that would be revolutionary and transformative to your life this year. I love you guys. Thank you for listening to the Resonate Church Sermon Podcast. If you are a college student in the Northwest, or if you simply want to see college students come to know Jesus, please connect with us by visiting Resonate.net.